This morning's Bible reading comes from Luke chapter 23, verses 32 to 43. Two men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the Chosen One. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly for what? for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, Truly I tell you, today you will will be with me in paradise. Good morning, my name is Jeff. It's my privilege to be here, I think, for the last time, and uh, it's, it's great to be here with you this morning. I'm going to be looking at Luke 23, and I'm actually going to go from verse 26 to 49. I don't know how quick our tech team are in terms of uh, finding verses 26 to 49. Uh, there'll be plenty of time while I do the introduction, if you, if you can find it, verses 26 to 49. Let's, uh, let's ask God to help us. Heavenly Father, do please help us as we look at your word now to understand it and uh, help us to keep the main thing the main thing. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I say, it's my last time with you this morning, and uh, I'm sorry, I haven't really got anything Christmassy for you. Uh, what I wanted to do instead is focus on what I think uh, needs to be the, the, the centre for you as a church, for all of us, uh, as, we, as we move forward into the future. Have you ever heard the word, have you ever heard the word crux? This is the, this is the crux of the matter. This, uh, it means something like the... Um, the, the, the centre, the, the heart of the matter, the most important thing, something like that, the crux. Which, you know, the, the word crux is actually the Latin word for cross, cross. And, and the meaning comes from the cross of Jesus. Christians have historically understood that the cross of Jesus is the heart, the, the hub, the, the, the centre of what we believe. And so the word crux has come to mean the most uh, central, most important thing. But when you think about it, the, the cross is a strange thing to have at the centre of your religion. Uh, my cousin, um, my, my family, you may know, are Jewish on my mother's side, and my cousin, who's uh, the principal of a Jewish school, one of, her, one of her teachers who works with her is a Christian. And uh, this teacher, her, her daughter was being baptised, and so my Jewish cousin went to church for the first time uh, to, 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 hear, uh, to, to see a baptism. And she said to me afterwards, she said, oh, it was, it was, it was quite nice, you know, I quite liked the, the, the songs and people were all very nice. But one thing struck me as really weird is they kept singing about the cross of Jesus as if it was some happy thing. 
You know, Jesus died in sweat and blood and agony, nailed to a cross. Oh, happy day. She said, that, that's weird. That, that is not the way that people should think about the cross. There's something to that, isn't there? The cross was an instrument of torture and execution. People were nailed to crosses to die. The cross is not a nice thing. And to have it at the center of your religion, that is slightly strange. Plenty of people criticize it. The Oxford philosopher Alfred Ayer, for example, he says, the idea of Jesus dying on the cross for our sins is, and I quote, intellectually contemptible and morally outrageous. French philosopher Friedrich uh, Friedrich Nietzsche, he also hated the message of the cross. He said that if there's one thing that we've learned from evolution, it's that for the good of the species, the strong need to survive and the weak need to be pushed out of the way. He said the religion of the cross thwarts the law of evolution because it takes the side of the weak. He says it, it therefore hinders the good of humanity, stops us from evolving the right way. Plenty of critics say that Christianity in having the cross at the center is is crazy. And so many churches have pushed the cross out of the center. Some some churches focus now on social action. Everybody likes social action. Um, And so they say Christianity is all about helping the poor or uh, fighting for justice or racial reconciliation. That's the center, they say. Of course, those things are good things. We just talked about how we're going to support Jericho Road ourselves. But is it central? Well, my, my wife, Carmelina, was speaking up at a church in Queensland earlier this year. The minister's a, a Bible believer, but the, the, the bishop in the area is not. And one day, the, the, the minister was telling my wife, uh, the, the bishop took me aside and he said, I hear you keep teaching about how everyone is sinful and they need Jesus to die on the cross as a sacrifice for them. He said, you need to stop this teaching. He said, the Christian message the world needs now is reconciliation between white people and Aborigines and it's about the fight against climate change. Some churches focus on social action. Other churches focus on morality. They say Christianity is all about being good, be nice to your family, be a respectable, kind, upright citizen. They say that is the center of Christianity. If I'm honest, I suspect that last century that was a problem for Presbyterian churches. Uh, the, the, The center of being a Christian man was that you would be a Rotarian and a Freemason and a Presbyterian elder. It was all about good works, being good. And of course, there's nothing wrong with being good, but is that the center? Other churches focus on miracles. They say Christianity is all about speaking in strange languages or miraculous healings. Other churches focus on prosperity. It's all about positive thinking. Becoming a Christian should be a ticket to being healthy and wealthy and wise. There are lots of churches that shift their focus. But with all of them, the upshot is the same. The cross is pushed out of the center. The cross isn't the crux anymore. When chapter 23 of his biography of Jesus, Luke tells the story of the cross. And he does it in a fascinating way. He gives us a series of little pictures, little little snippets, little details of what happened. And a number of them seem like quite 
quite weird things to focus on. On the face of it, they might not seem to be important details, but Luke has put all of them together for a reason. They're all significant. And together, what they do, they form a kind of a, a montage of the cross. You know, you know what a montage is? It's kind of where, where you've got little pictures that make up a big picture. You look them up on the internet, you'll see lots of cat ones and things like that. You, know, you get lots of little pictures of cats that together form this big cat. Right? That's, that, 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 that's a montage. Well, that's what Luke is doing here. He tells lots of little snippets about Jesus to give you a big picture of what the cross is all about. So first scene, first scene, which is chapter 23 and verse 26, uh, Jesus is too badly injured to carry his own cross. And so the soldiers conscript to pass her by. It's a man called Simon. And so Simon has to, just listen to this, Simon has to pick up his cross and follow Jesus. That ring any bells for you, those of you who've been studying Luke in Bible study? Jesus has been saying that over and over again, hasn't he? If anyone would come after me, let him pick up his cross and follow me. Luke's giving us a hint here. This is the path that Jesus has called everyone to follow. This is the path. If anyone wants to save themselves, they must pick up their cross and follow me. But the sad fact is you get here to the cross of Jesus and the only one who can do it is a conscripted stranger. No disciple picks up their cross and follows Jesus. Luke chapter 23 and verse 26. How do we go? We didn't get there. Those of you who've got a Bible, Luke chapter 23 and verse 26. Let me read it for you. It says, As the soldiers led him away, they seized Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way in from the country, and put the cross on him and made him carry it behind Jesus. That's the first scene. Simon carries the cross. A second scene. Some, Some people, including some women from Jerusalem, they follow Jesus weeping and mourning. But Jesus speaks to them and he says, don't weep or mourn for me. He says, weep or mourn for yourselves because terrible judgment is coming on Jerusalem. And he uses a proverb. It's a bit of a strange proverb. He compares himself to a green tree and he compares Jerusalem to a dead dry tree. And he uses a proverb. He says, if you think a green tree will burn and catch fire, wait till you see what happens to the dry one. That's going to seriously burn. What he means is if bad things are going to happen to him, It's going to be even worse for Jerusalem. Verse 27. A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children, for the time will come when you will say, Blessed are the childless women, the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will say to the mountains, fall on us and to the hills, cover us. For if people do these things when the tree is green, if bad things are happening to Jesus, what will happen when it is dry? Luke's point is this. This cross of Jesus, it might look like his defeat. But in fact, it is the seal on the defeat of anyone who opposes King Jesus. It's the seal on the defeat of Jerusalem. And historically, that's exactly what happened. 70 AD, the Romans came, they conquered Jerusalem, they slaughtered more than one million Jewish people. They took another 100,000 into captivity, utterly destroyed the temple, never to be rebuilt. Next scene, Jesus is led to the cross and he's crucified. But again, it's, 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 it's strange. And I think we do have this now, don't we? Verse 32, 
It's, it's a strange way for Luke to talk about it because he doesn't say anything about nails. He doesn't say anything about the way the cross is formed. He doesn't say anything about what happened to Jesus or the pain he went through. Instead, he talks about well, another bit, bit of a strange detail. He talks on and on about how Jesus is positioned between two criminals. Now, verse 32, two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there. A couple of words, they crucified him there, along with the criminals. One on his right, the other on his left. Why is Luke so concerned to tell us about Jesus' position between these criminals? Well, it actually goes back to chapter 23 of Luke, where he said that it was going to happen to fulfill scripture, that he would be numbered with the transgressors. And Jesus was referring to the famous Isaiah 53. You know the, uh, Isaiah chapter 53? Uh, you might know, for example, uh, we all like sheep have gone astray. Uh, each of us has turned to his own way. Don't say the baba do babas. Um, and, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Why is Luke telling us about Jesus' position between the two criminals? To remind us that this is the fulfillment of Isaiah 53. Jesus is dying in our place as the substitute for us, taking our sin on himself so that we can have forgiveness and peace with God. And the next picture continues that same theme, verse 34, Jesus offers forgiveness. Verse 34, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Next, Jesus tells us another, what seems like a strange detail. He talks about how the soldiers divided up his clothes and gambled for them. Again, it seems strange, uh, but again, it's it's significant in the light of the Old Testament. This time we go back to Psalm 22. And uh, Psalm 22, King David is speaking, and he starts off by saying something again that might be familiar to you. He starts off the psalm by saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then he talks on and on about his suffering. But then at the end of Psalm 22, it talks about how everyone has to kneel to him, to King David, as king. And then on the way, Psalm 22, verse 18, David says, They divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. So what's Luke saying to us? He's saying this is the king. This is King Jesus dying on the cross on his way to the throne where every knee will have to bow to him. Still in verse 34, and they divided up his clothes by casting lots. Uh, Next scene is a series of scenes again about Jesus being king. Everyone is teasing Jesus while he's on the cross. They say if he really is the king, he should save himself and come down. The Romans even put up a sign, ironically above him as a joke, saying "Here's the king of the Jews. But again, Luke notes one other thing. Again, it might seem like a strange detail. The soldiers offered Jesus wine vinegar. Why that detail? It's another reference to King David in the Psalms, this time Psalm 69, where it says, where King David talks about his path to to his throne, and he says, they gave me vinegar for my thirst. It's another clue. All these people are mocking Jesus. All these people think the idea that Jesus dying on the cross being king is ridiculous but ironically all along they're fulfilling the scriptures this is the king and he's not saving himself 
so that he can save you and me. Verse 35. The people stood watching and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. Next scene. Jesus describes an exchange, uh, Luke describes an exchange between Jesus and the criminals on either side of him. One of them mocks, but the other realizes Jesus is a king. Suffering on his way to an eternal throne, he asks Jesus to remember him when he does come into his kingdom. Verse 39. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you're under the same sentence. We're punished justly for we're getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And now look at Jesus' answer in verse 43. He says, today you'll be with me in paradise, the place where God's people wait until his kingdom is eternally established. Verse 43, Jesus answered him, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Hours pass by. It's around midday. God brings darkness onto the land to symbolise... What does that darkness symbolise? God's judgement, the forsakenness of Jesus, something like that. Verse 44. It was now about noon. And darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon for the sun stopped shining. God tears the curtain in the the Jerusalem temple to show the temple's finished. The way into the presence of God is now through Jesus. Uh, Verse 45, the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus commits himself to God and he dies. Verse 46, Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. And then Luke finishes the section with two final responses to the death of Jesus. The centurion says that he's innocent. The people watching mourn. But just notice as I read, notice where the disciples are. Notice where the disciples are as I read. See if you can pick it up. I'm sorry it's not going to be written. See if you can listen. Verse 47. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. When all the people who had gathered to witness this sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. Now listen to this. But all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. Bit bit of a sad way to finish, really. Actually, remember we started the, 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 the story of the death of Jesus with Simon being forced to carry the cross. Now we finish with the disciples standing at a distance. Luke begins and ends the story this way to remind us that Jesus goes to the cross alone. Jesus alone has died for our sins. Jesus alone is the king. Jesus alone can offer to forgive us. Jesus alone can give us a place in his kingdom. 
Jesus alone can offer us the forgiveness and eternal life that we need. Okay. Do you get a sense of that of this section here in Luke 23? 20, uh, uh, I realise um, it kind of washes over you, doesn't it? Snippet after snippet, scene after scene, just coming one after the other. Uh, let, me, let me run through them again. Simon carries the cross and follows Jesus. Jesus says Jerusalem will be destroyed. He's crucified between the two criminals on the cross. He's mocked. People say he can't be king, but meanwhile they divide up his clothes and give him wine vinegar, just like happened to King David. Uh, on the cross, Jesus asks God to forgive people. He tells the criminal who have a place in paradise, darkness comes, the, the temple curtain is torn, the centurion says he was innocent, the disciples stand far away. Picture after picture, scene after scene, snippet after snippet. Some of them might seem like strange, scenes, strange things to talk about, but it's all creating this montage, giving us this picture of the death of Jesus and its significance. This man on the cross This is the eternal king in God's kingdom. He is on his way to his eternal throne. He is dying under the judgment of God in our place for our sin to open up the way for us to be forgiven and be with God in Jesus' eternal kingdom. Friends, if there's one thing that's clear from Luke's montage, it's this. And this is the application of the passage to ourselves, I think. The one thing that is clear from Luke's montage, this is vital. This has got to be the centre, doesn't it? I mean, social action, that's great. Yeah, let's, let's help disabled kids at Allah. Well, let's, let's look after people in, in hospitals and prisons. and That's great. Social action is really good. Being good, that's good. Let's, let's be good, honest, upright citizens. That's excellent. Miracles, yeah, good. Everyone likes a miracle. Being, having a positive life and being prosperous and healthy and wealthy and wise, excellent. That's good. But here is the center of an eternal hope. Here is the difference between spending eternity alienated from God, paying the price for your own sin, or being forgiven and in Jesus' glorious kingdom. This has got to be the centre. The centre of our hope, the centre of our future, the centre of our salvation. The cross must be the crux. Just after the First World War, there was a meeting in England between two university Christian groups. There was a group from Cambridge called the CICCU, affectionately known as the KICU. The KICU. Uh, that's the group that has now become um, IFES, International Federation of Evangelical Students, or perhaps you know of AFES, the Australian Federation of Evangelical Students, or perhaps you've heard of EU on Sydney University, or Campus Bible Study at uh, University of New South Wales, or the CU here at Macquarie University. There was this meeting between the KICU, as it then was, and a group called the Student Christian Mission. And the Student Christian Mission at the time were a very big group, very focused on social action and being good. And Well, the SEM wanted to kind of swallow the KICU to strengthen both of the groups, to pool resources. But let me read from an account of what happened. It's by a man from KICU called Norman Grubb. He says this, After an hour's talk... 
I asked the SCM representative point blank, does the SCM put the atoning blood of Jesus Christ central? He hesitated and then said, well, we acknowledge it, but not necessarily central. Dan, Dick and I then said that this settled the matter for us in the CICCU. We could never join something that did not maintain the atoning blood of Jesus as its centre. And we parted company. Kikyu refused to be part of a group that left the cross out of the centre. And the results are clear to see. Even here on the other side of the world. How many of us here have been greatly helped by the ministry of the Australian Federation of Evangelical Students? I personally became a Christian at university. How many people here have been helped by campus Bible study or evangelical union or... So many of us have been helped. And it's all because they refused to let the cross out of the centre. Do you know, a similar thing happened back in 1977. The Presbyterian Church was asked to join up with other denominations to form the Uniting Church. But again, for some Presbyterian ministers, the problem was this. The Uniting Church was not clear enough that the cross of Jesus has to be at the centre. And so they stayed Presbyterian. At the time, that was a costly decision. Some of you may remember it. At the time, it was a very unpopular decision. At the time, they were greatly criticised. But I think in the light of what we've seen today, and in the light of the direction that much of the Uniting Church seems to be taking... I think in the light of what we've seen today, we'd have to say they were right, wouldn't we? Both the Kikyu and those Presbyterian ministers. The cross is absolutely central. We cannot afford to let it be sidelined in any way. Just think again of what we've seen in Luke's montage. Here is where the price for your sin is paid. Here is where forgiveness is won for us. Here is where you have access to God. Here is where you can be with God in his eternal kingdom. It is at the cross. Without the cross, we have nothing. Without the cross, Christianity is empty and meaningless. Without the cross, we are enemies of God, bound for an eternity of darkness. Friends, as I say, this is my last Talk, I think, God willing, assuming Darwin doesn't get hit by a bus or something like that between now and January, God forbid. (laughs) I think this is my last time. And and here's here's the thing I want to leave you with. You've got to keep the cross at the centre. Don't let anything distract you. Don't let buildings distract you. Don't let music distract you. Don't let anything distract you. Don't, Don't get distracted by social work. Don't get distracted by being good. Keep the cross of Jesus at the centre. Rely on Jesus alone for your salvation. Rely on Jesus alone for your place in heaven. Keep Jesus at the centre of what you do together. Christ's cross is the crux. It's him we need to proclaim. It's him we need to live for. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that in dying on the cross and rising again from the dead, he has done for us what we could not do for ourselves. He's paid the price for our sin and opened for us the gates of heaven. 
Heavenly Father, help us to trust in Jesus alone for our salvation and help us to keep the cross at the centre of who we are as people and of who we are as a church. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.